0: Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique.
1: Yay! Happy Saturday, everyone!
2: Happy Saturday! Welcome to All the Things. Show where we talk about all the things related to God life and the Bible. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. I need to give me an also known as like a DBA. I need, I don't know. I need that for me.
1: Now remember the old days when we would start the show and you'd be like, and I'm Monique decided and I don't have a website. I'm not on Twitter. I'm nothing. I'm no- <laughs> I, said I was nothing. My my self-esteem wasn't that bad. Come on now. <laughs> now look at you. You're doing big things.
2: Oh, uh, you know, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for you. That's all I can say. I'm here.
1: Go back to those first shows.
2: Oh, don't go back to those first shows. Don't do that. The devil is a lie. That's back when somebody named me. Who named me? Allison named me two braids. Who Somebody like called an escape prison convict. Somebody called me. You was diamond. So don't start. <laughs> Listen
1: here, diamond. Okay. Uh-uh.
2: Anybody got time. Y'all, okay. Y'all keep it real on this show
1: today. So helping us on the show today and every day. Every day. Every day. <laughs> it doesn't change. You can join us on the live chat right now over on uh, YouTube. And our moderators tonight are Laura Hartley and Jeremy Webb. Thanks, guys. Helping to... um, (laughs) Laura wants to know if anyone's giving out Halloween candy. All those Reese's that Luther posted. I think she means theses.
2: There it is. A little little
1: Reformation joke's already starting up.
2: Edwin's in there what's up Edwin Romero? Oh, there's our brother Edwin yes yes he is here and people are on Facebook with us hello welcome oh the uh, yes I can talk more in the mic excuse me pardon me hello hi <laughs> just you know it's like my first day on the set um we, we have Sharon here what's up Sharon happy Reformation Day and Candy Marshall what's good y'all What's good? Okay, so before we jump in, oh, yeah. we do need to say that our show is
1: sponsored by the Center for Biblical Unity.
2: Yeah, check us out on our webpage or on our Facebook
1: page, Theology Mom Podcast. Yes, and Family Two Ten Clothing. Yes, yes, yes. So Christmas is coming. We want to encourage you. Think check about out the merch if you want to support Center for Biblical Unity. You can go to our merch page there and get a shirt.
2: Cool story. Neil Shenvee was in Target
1: and he had no on his
2: CFBU shirt, and somebody stopped him and was like, What is your shirt? And he was able to tell him about us. And the, actually, yeah. The person
1: was like, The world would be a nicer place. Yes. If people believed that. Yes. That's what we're doing, so bringing hope. Like,
2: go ahead, cousin Neil, and wear that shirt. You better go ahead.
1: <laughs> yes. So you. Yeah, you can go uh, support uh, the ministry, $5 of every purchase. If you get CFBU merch goes to help the ministry, or you can browse our shop more widely, and we have a lot of other styles there, and those go to help support our family. Yes. Monique's part of the family, so all of us, Bob, Emily, Abby, all the people behind the scenes uh here in the Bontrager house and and that includes Monique because she's part of our family yes I am yeah uh, if trip. you want so if you want to help support us um go there go there yes now
2: today is reformation day and I got a lot of questions about that but I'm gonna hold it to the end or at least for the next three minutes um, but <laughs> someone sent in a picture. And we, we're not going to say their name, but they sent in a picture of their cute kids in their. Who knew that you dressed up for Reformation? That's for like every day. I find when out something. We just new. learned that Reformation Day so was a thing. We have like a, a picture. I love these kids. They're so cute. Look at them in their little Reformation Day costumes. They're so cute. I love it. It's very like I don't know what the time period is, but I guess you they it's, had like it's,
1: well Reformation. Well, our guest will help you. Okay. Thanks. We'll, That'll be awesome. We'll ask for a timeline. All right. Yeah. Okay.
2: And before we get into the show, we're going to remind you at the end of the show as well, but Kristen, and I are currently right now today working on our 2021 calendar. So if you at your place of employment or your small group, your church, your ministry partner or ministry are looking to have conversations that are sane around race, justice, unity, have
1: us come out, yeah. get in contact it with could us. Even, it could even be like a high school chapel message yeah. or doing a training for your Christian school faculty, or I mean, think creatively of who you want to engage in a conversation about race, justice, unity, or even more broadly, if you have a women's group that you're wanting some, some good sound theology training. Um, you know, she's you, good at that yeah, I'm so. not so good at that but you
2: know I can talk about race, justice, and unity she she has like a larger sphere because she has all that seminary I've been there for 41 minutes so <laughs> maybe maybe next year I'll be there okay so please look at check us out on our website Center centerforbiblicalunity.com or theologymom.com or the, theologymom.com either way to get in contact with us and um, yes have us come
1: out Yes. All right, let's jump in. All right, so we're going to talk about the story behind today is Reformation Day. Now, I don't see anybody walking around outside, out the front door. I don't know if we're going to get... There's still no kids at the at the front door camp. But Reformation Day.
2: I just had a song in my head. Sorry, we keep going. <laughs> That's what I just said. <laughs> Didn't mean that... We weren't on camera, so I was just, you know.
1: So we were trying to think of some alternative to a Halloween topic. Yes. And... Thought of this one. I you think, thought of this one. I think it'll be fine. You said, what if we do a show about Reformation Day? I said, what if we do a show about what? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna that's what we're gonna do.
2: Okay. We so are gonna here welcome for the
1: we're gonna welcome a new friend to the show, Douglas Bond. Welcome, Douglas.
0: It's good to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Hello. It, it is great Hello. to have you here. So I put out a call on social media. Hey, does anybody know? an expert in the Reformation. You are one of the people that somebody posted. I think uh, one of the things you do is actually lead tours mm-hmm. to Europe yeah. as Reformation tours is kind of a combination history and tour travel thing. Mm-hmm. And somebody went on one of your trips and yeah. recommended you. So yeah. glad to have you here <laughs> to have you teach us some things about the Reformation Maybe you could start by telling us a little about yourself and how you got interested in this topic.
0: Yeah, well, it's good to be on the show with you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I had the the wonderful privilege of growing up in a, a Christian, a very godly home. And uh, we read the Bible every day, we sang every day, we prayed every day. Um, and uh, there were times, I'll, I'll admit, there were times when I um, wasn't as uh, enthusiastic about that as, as my parents were. Um, but looking back, I just, I, I can't uh, overstate the importance of, of the family doing those things. And, you know, you could really, you could run a, a direct timeline from my family doing those things and many other Families that uh, take a time each day to um, worship the Lord as a family. I can trace it right back to Martin Luther uh, in uh, the Reformation. And uh, so, and, and, I, and I was in a good church. It, it's, it's amazing as I get older. I just got older <laughs> two days ago. Um, but as I get older and I look back, um, I, I just value the teaching that I got in the church I grew up in. Uh, and uh, and realize that I was actually getting taught again without a lot of the labels necessarily. And uh, but I was getting taught uh, Reformation Christianity, historic, confessional Reformation Christianity, and didn't know that at the time necessarily all the time. And looking back, just uh, appreciate that so much. So so many of the seeds of my passion now for uh, the Reformation. I write a lot about the Reformation, as you said. Um, Krista, i i lead tours have since nineteen ninety six um i um my first book was published twenty one years ago um it's hard to imagine. I, I remember thinking, uh, I don't think I have enough words in me to finish this book, and uh, and as it turns out, somehow in the providence of God, that was thirty one books ago. And um, it, it's it's like so many things in life: the more you do it, the more passionate you get about it, and and the more the the, the more you do it, the more you do it. So now,
1: one of the was, things that you also do is you're a modern hymn writer and writing Reformation yeah. hymns for the church today, which I think is. Wonderful, and also has a tie to Martin Luther. Martin Luther actually wrote hymns as well.
0: Right, right. In Luther's world, he would have grown up as a child uh, hearing uh, the Psalms, chanted, and some hymns of the early church, of course, but chanted in Latin, uh, not in the German that, uh, that his family understood and spoke. Um, and uh, he loved music. Uh, and he was very gifted in music. He played the lute. Uh, they, they called him the Nightingale of Wittenberg later on. Uh, he actually raised money uh, uh, to, to feed himself when he was, uh, he was born a peasant uh, in, in what they called the school that, that he later called the Mansfield Purgatory. Uh, the discipline was pretty strict there. But uh, he would go door-to-door uh, singing and uh, had a beautiful voice, and people would put some money in his hat, um, and uh, Christmas caroling comes out of that. So many of our Christmas traditions uh, in the Western world come right out of Germany, of course, but really come right out of uh, Martin Luther, especially Luther after he uh, um, uh, met his wife, uh, and uh, that's quite a story yeah. in itself. I can save that for later, but I guess, uh, but, uh, you know, then they started having children, and Luther was uh, an enthusiastic father and, um, and wanted his children to really appreciate um, uh, the celebration of the first advent of our Lord Jesus. And uh, so he made it a really fun and special time. And uh, those stuck. And, uh, you know, through the cousins and the intermarrying and the Hanovers and all of that, he got into the Victorian and English-speaking world uh, in a big way. And uh, so many of those traditions, but we're talking about Halloween today, of course. Yeah. So, a, well, a, yeah. Hey. Go ahead.
2: Now, I always thought that, for as old as I am, I have thought that it has only been Halloween. But then a couple of weeks ago, I found out that this is actually Reformation Day as well. What is Reformation Day?
0: That's a that's a really good question. Those those are the kind of questions guys like me really really like it when people ask. So those
1: so start us off with like the year when did yeah. luther live and kind of what was the time period that we were coming out of and,
2: right. and why was he going, angry banging on people's doors <laughs> like Stop. i have questions
0: yeah 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 no that's good well um the, the the period of time we call it the renaissance uh the rebirth of of learning and i think that that uh, c.s lewis didn't really like the designation renaissance and dark ages you know he believed that actually so many of these things were actually uh, in place in what some historians call the dark ages, the enlightenment called it that. Um, But nevertheless, there were new things afoot. And there was a, uh, one of the most significant parts of that was that um, about about 40, 35 years before Luther was born at the end of the, uh, at the end of the 15th century, um, there had been a rediscovery of movable type printing. And this this was enormous. In 1450, Johann Gutenberg, in the city of Mainz uh, along the Rhine River, um, uh, uh, discovered using a wine press and all discovered movable type printing. And within the next 50 years, leading up to Luther's life, um, there were 25 new universities founded uh, in uh, Western Europe. There were uh, over 8 million new books printed on the printing press in a, a period of about uh, half a century. Uh, and that was, that, we can't, um, I, I, don't, I don't think we can fully appreciate, we think that co- the discovery of computers and the microchip and all that was significant, and of course it was, um, the jet engine and, 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 and other things like that. But, um, but given where the world was, that everything you read had to be handwritten. Uh, every book you read was handwritten and intensely expensive. And so only a, a few uh, people, only the wealthy, only the uh, uber-educated could afford to own a book or two or three. Yeah, and I um, want to jump
1: in there on that because I, I think this is something that's not well understood by many Christians today is how important mm-hmm. the printing press was with movable type. Um, yeah. It really facilitated uh, the, one of the biggest revolutions in our culture— um, arguably, until the age of the internet, I mean, it it was um, absolutely the most important invention of the you know for maybe a thousand years. It it no. it it was so vital, and that was a played a pivotal role in the Reformation coming about. And it was a time of a renewal of learning and a returning to the classics. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we hear of this period called the dark ages, Mm -hmm. which really weren't dark as in learning lost. It's just was sort of a little bit more dormant in, in the West, Mm -hmm. but we see this great rejuvenation Mm -hmm. with the printing press. And then like Douglas said, you know, the establishment of new universities and there was a return to the classics. So it was a return Mm -hmm. to Plato and Aristotle and that now with movable type, Booklets could be made, pamphlets could be made, information was no longer just among the rich and the elite. Regular people had access, could, had access yeah. to books. So yeah. that that is an important piece in the story of, of Reformation Day and, and Luther.
0: It's huge. Yeah, you, we can't overstate that. It, it's uh, very, very significant. And, and one of the things is when when the common people, when when let's say 98% is, is probably not far off the mark, 98% of the population was illiterate uh, before the Reformation, um, there, there was a lot of uh, potential for, I mean, it was a perfect storm for controlling people. Uh, keep them, keep the, the information away from them and keep them in their superstitions and their ignorances and in their fears. Um, And um, uh, this was busted wide open uh, by the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther... Uh, was growing up in a world where uh, he was terrified of demons around every corner. He believed that there were witches. His, he lost a younger brother um, uh, shortly after birth, and his mother was convinced that the reason that that child had died was because a neighbor didn't like them and was a witch and had put a, a curse on the child. So Luther was completely saturated in sort of these things that make us say, like you said, Chris, make us say that these were dark ages, you know, that people were caught in superstitions and they didn't have the uh, the information, they couldn't read. Luther did not even lay eyes on a Bible, and it was a Latin Bible, until he was studying law at the University of Erfurt uh, in his, uh, in his uh, upper teen years. Now, many and, people uh,
1: don't know that about Luther, that he actually was going to be a lawyer. And absolutely. that, that yeah. was kind of the career path that his father wanted him to go down was to be a lawyer, but yeah. then there was a great interruption in, yes, in that to journey to, on yes. the way to being a lawyer.
0: Yeah, that is for sure. Yeah, he was, um, Luther was very um, concerned about his soul. From, from his childhood, he had a very a tender and sensitive heart. He was worried about dying, uh in those days you saw death a lot more in his own house as i mentioned already um it was uh it was high infant mortality rates and uh people life expectancies were much shorter disease was rampant the plague uh you, you would see people uh, contract the bubonic plague and within uh, a matter of days uh die and uh, you could see that sweep through a whole town and so there was there was. You were much closer to the realities of, of, uh, of suffering and death, illness, dying, and um, so Luther was grew up very terrified of those uh, of those things, and he was uh, he was hungry to find uh, peace with God when he when he first read a Bible it was chained uh, uh, there in the library uh, of the University of Erfurt. Um, he, he said to himself that how much he longed to have a treasure like that for himself um, but he was terrified as he read it because um, you know depending on where you open the bible uh, there are messages that aren't as um, warm and inviting for example if, if Luther had opened his bible you know doing bibliomancy if he'd open that bible there in the university <laughs> library and put his finger down on Matthew five forty eight, for example where Jesus himself says to the to the crowds on the sermon on the mount says um, uh, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect well, Luther was sure he wasn't perfect, that he was a long ways from perfect. He was very aware of sins of the heart, sins of the mind. Um, uh, sure, sins of the hands and feet, of course, but Luther, Luther recognized that pride was a sin and that he was caught in pride, and that lust was a sin, and that, he, you know, he didn't even actually have to do the sin, but the desire to do the sin was offensive to God in the first place, and so he had a very, t- again, the Spirit of God was at work in his heart as a young, as a boy even, and um, well, we fast forward to Krista uh, alluded to it um, to July of 1505, and Luther uh, had completed um, the first two levels of what we call a JD today, uh, uh, a Doctorate in Jurisprudence. Um, one of my one of my sons is a lawyer, uh, works for the Department of Justice, but um, it's a lot of work, and there's a, lot, a huge volume of things to to master and to learn. Uh, Luther in uh, d- Accomplish the first two levels of that, I guess we could broadly say like uh, undergrad and master's degree before the, um, and uh, although, the, although the categories weren't quite the same as they are. Today, but uh, he completed that at the University of Erfurt faster than any other student had ever done. He was a bright young man, very able uh, student. He'd gone home to visit his family. uh, By that time in Eisenach, Uh, you might recognize the name of that town because it's also where um, uh, J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, would live 150 years later, uh, or so. Um, And uh, he visited him there um, and came. he was on his way back to his studies at the university. And on the road uh, to uh, the university, there was a thunderstorm. Uh, Luther was nearly struck by lightning. He was absolutely terrified. He believed that, uh, as the scripture says, that God causes the lightning to strike the mark. And it nearly struck him. And he saw it as a direct uh, providence of God, uh, the wrath of God being poured out, and it terrified him. And uh, in that terror, he cried out, St. Anne, save me, help me, I'll become a monk. And St. Anne uh, w- w- wasn't, uh, wasn't some obscure uh, saint to Martin Luther. Martin Luther's father was a minor. And the patron saint of minors was Saint Anne, who, according to uh, tradition, was also the mother of uh, Mary, uh, Jesus' grandmother. Then, and uh, so he cries, and he gets back to to Erfurt, and instead of going on and finishing that JD in in law, he uh, keeps his vow, and he goes to the. Augustinian. This was in the providence of God. There was no other monastic order to go to in the same town. He was going to university, so he goes to the Augustinian cloister, uh, knocks on the door, and offers himself as a as a as a monk. And uh, you know, the Augustinian order. Who are they going to be reading? Well, Saint Augustine. Well, I think and that's an uh, important
1: that's important point that we want to emphasize is that the the tradition of <coughs> Saint Augustine comes he, arguably in the West, he's looked upon as being the last and the greatest of the church fathers. Absolutely. And he's kind of at the end of the, the, the Roman empire as the Roman empire is crumbling. And then the, in that transition period to what we call the middle ages or the dark ages, Augustine is there kind of creating this, what I call arc of orthodoxy, preserving the faith for his moment as now Christianity has become a legalized religion. It's been a legalized religion for about a hundred years, but but now it's like what's happening to society? Mm-hmm. What's happening to the culture? And he was a he lived in North Africa. He was a North African bishop. And he his theology is so foundational. It's so interesting. Augustine creates this legacy that goes both into Roman Catholicism and and into Protestantism through Luther. And so Luther goes and joins the Augustinian monks and is reading and influenced by Augustinian thought. Mm -hmm. And that becomes kind of this foundation for what becomes Protestant theology. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's not a minor point that Mm -hmm. he goes to become an Augustinian monk and is influenced by Augustine's theology. Yeah.
0: yeah. So
1: so he de- a funny thing happened on his way to becoming a lawyer. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> exactly. quite work yeah, out. Yeah. He became a monk instead. Yes but,
0: and an Augustinian. Yeah, yeah,
1: go ahead. Did you have a question? No, go ahead. All right. So so let's fast forward a little bit to sure. the, the the controversy. He Luther finds himself pouring over scriptures, mm-hmm. pouring over the book of Galatians while simultaneously kind of looking around at the church of his day. So Mm -hmm. let's get into kind of what that tension was for him.
0: Sure. Uh, well, Luther uh, joins the monastery. He said that if 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 ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it would have been him. He about killed himself. You know, he took it so seriously, uh, fasting and confessing his sins and all the seven sacraments that the that the Roman Catholic Church had constructed during those years after Augustine. Augustine didn't have. Believe in seven sacraments. The early church fathers didn't believe in that. Um, but um, uh, as he was studying, he, he had a he had Johann Staupitz, who was the uh, the vicar general of the Augustinian order in Germany, and in the providence of God again, Luther's father confessor was Johann Staupitz. and <clears throat> uh, steeped in very knowledgeable in. Augustine and Augustine's writing, free grace of the gospel uh, proclaimed back there and, and confirmed by a church council in a- a- AD 418, the Council, council of Carthage, uh, as the theology that was Consistent with Scripture. Now, very quickly after that, they went back to Pelagius and Semi-Pelagianism t- took over in uh, the Roman Catholic Church. But um, uh, but uh, the, the, all of the reformers, not just Luther, but all of the reformers were uh, reading and being saturated in the writings uh, of Saint Augustine. So uh, he's he's listening to Staupitz. He goes and one, one day he he actually tries to confess. his sins for six hours, and finally Staupitz gets all upset and he says, you know, stop, go do. Some real sinning, and then come back and confess. You know, parasite, You know, uh, you know, you you, you know, something regicide. You know, because, but and then not these picky uni sins. Come back when you've really done some sinning. Now I think he was being facetious, but um, but the point was that uh, this man had an enormous influence on uh, on Luther. And one of the things that he tells Luther, he says, "Listen, there's a new university, one of those twenty five new universities, that's just been founded by Frederick the Elector of Saxony in this." Insignificant little town, uh, Wittenberg along a sandbank, uh, along the, the river Elba, uh, in, in Saxony. And, um, he's looking for a, a professor of theology. Now, I know you don't have your doctorate in theology, but you could work on that at the same time at the university while you're teaching. Plus, we also have an opening at the Stadkirche, the, the town church. Uh, we need a pastor there. So I'm, I'm sending you to Wittenberg, uh, to study the Bible to teach the Bible in your tutorials. Uh, The the system of uh, education then was not some great big classroom. They did have lectures, two larger uh, ones, but you had a small cluster of students and you were their tutor and you taught them and you assigned them uh, things to study and to write about and to come back and discourse on and so forth. so Luther's just thrown into this role, and and he said, I, "I, how can I do this?" He says, "I, I am not. I'm someone who's not sure that I love God. I think I hate God sometimes. I resent it that He is so perfect and holy, and I am so um, imperfect and unholy. And I don't know how to get from where I am to where He is." Well, he starts in. He's he's uh, he's teaching through the Psalms. Uh, they chanted the Psalms. They sang the Psalms in the Middle Ages, beautifully uh, in the monasteries. Um, and and uh, he's, he gets to Psalm 22, and as he's, as he's teaching this to his students, he looks at this f- phrase from Psalm 22 that Jesus recites on the cross. Jesus was constantly reciting from the Psalms and from the prophets as well, but, um, and, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Luther was, thunderstruck by this pun intended uh, and he uh, he thought well wait a minute why is Jesus forsaken by God I feel forsaken by God and I deserve to feel forsaken by God but why is the perfect Son of God Jesus Uh, the second person of the trinity why does he feel forsaken by god and he just couldn't work on that from he go from the psalms he goes to romans and galatians as Krista said and and he's teaching these um these epistles uh these these epistles that are so central to uh the rediscovery of uh, justification by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone uh that luther would be forced to confront and it, it happens while he's teaching and while he's preaching to the common folks there in in the and he gets to Romans one seventeen. Uh, he's not very far into teaching Romans, is he? One seventeen, the just shall live by faith, and it, and it struck him, it smote him, and it, and he goes on. He he says that as he studied Paul in Galatians and in Romans, he he desperately wanted to know what dear Paul meant, because it didn't seem to accord with everything he'd been taught. Uh, the, the seven sacraments uh, penance pilgrimage uh, monasticism that he had tried you know it was your sure way to skip purgatory um, he didn 't feel like he was going to skip purgatory, he felt like he was under the wrath and curse of God, he felt forsaken by God, so how am I going to 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 get out of this and and so as he as he laid hold of Paul, dear Paul, he calls him and desperately wanted to know what Paul meant. Uh, He said that it was like the gates of paradise were open one day as he was studying Scripture, and that was that the just are made just by a free gift, a gift of faith in Jesus' righteousness, in Jesus' atoning sacrifice for sin. Uh, Luther had been breaking his back trying to atone for his own sins, and he couldn't do it. Luther was was desperately trying to uh, fulfill the law. Be good, do good works, uh, but he always knew that he fell far short of the glory of God in those, and so he's seeing that in Romans,
1: yeah, so I think that's good because I want to really kind of summarize what you said there in that what what he really kind of grips Luther is as he starts pastoring and he's really working his way through trying to teach these people and preach the word he he gets so gripped by the message of scripture and you know this Romans 117 moment that he has of what does it mean that Mm -hmm. the the righteous shall live by faith that they're justified by faith Mm -hmm. what does that really mean and it 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 kind of created this this dissonance in his mind of well here in the what I'm seeing around me in the Catholic tradition in my whole life it feels like I'm climbing this ladder of holiness but Mm -hmm in the message of Romans and in the incarnation it's like god came down to me and so he he started wrestling with well maybe i i just at a fundamental level i've misunderstood scripture so uh i don't want time to get away from us here douglas so let's let's fast forward to uh um okay. you know what happened to yeah. uh get us to october 31st and to you know yeah. what luther did so
0: To Monique's question, I haven't answered it yet. No, we haven't. We've been talking (laughs) for like 30 minutes. So I
1: want to get, (laughs) I I don't want people to drop off. I want people to stay engaged with the topic.
0: Well, here here it is. As Luther is, is working through all of this and coming through those gates of paradise into the presence of the Lord Jesus and is a true believer at this point, nobody knows exactly when that happened. Uh, Luther doesn't put a date on the calendar, but we know what he was teaching, when he was teaching it, and so forth. And he does tell us a good deal about that. Well, He's uh, uh, a walk, walking on the uh, outside the Elster Gate of Wittenberg one day, and here is a Dominican friar by the name of Johann Tetzel. And Johann Tetzel had been commissioned by Albert of Brandenburg, because Albert of Brandenburg, it's a long story, but he wanted a third bishop, archbishopric, and you, the, the canon law said you couldn't have that, but he, he was going to get it, and he could pay for it uh, by to, if he paid the right amount of money to Pope Leo X, so that Pope Leo X could... Put it in the coffers of his church building project, which is St. Peter's Basilica, that massive dome, uh, the, the largest stone dome in the world. And who designed it? Michelangelo, uh, along with some others, um, uh, Brutaleski and the rest. But, uh, uh, but it's an expensive project, and Pope Leo wants to have the most magnificent church in the world. Uh, and uh, what's he going to do to do that? Well, he's going to sell indulgences for a quarter florin to poor peasants in Germany and uh tetzel had this little jingle he, he was quite a showman actually and he, had, he, he 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 behaved like he was some kind of a a duke or a, a prince actually but he um he uh would say as soon as the coin in the coffer the collection box as soon as the coin in the coffer rings the soul from purgatory springs and uh luther it hit the rage button for luther And uh, Luther said that he always wrote better and preached better and everything when he was in a a full roiling rage. And uh, he had had enough. So he goes back to his little cell in the Augustinian monastery there in, in Wittenberg where he lived, and he writes out 95 reasons why the sale of indulgences is not biblical. By this time, Luther is moving powerfully towards sola scriptura. He gets this from Augustine. Augustine taught the rule of faith or the analogy of faith, which it says that Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture is the authority, not the Pope and his interpretation over Scripture, but the Word of God itself is uh true and the way we interpret the word of god is we let the word of god interpret itself where does augustine get that well he gets it from the apostles uh he gets it from peter preaching on the day of Pente- pentecost he gets it from jesus jesus is constantly going back and telling us what the prophet said and then Explaining what that means now, and that's what the that's what the preaching we see demonstrated in the in, in the scriptures itself is, and that's what's recovered by uh, by Luther, by by Calvin, by John Knox, by uh, Ulrich Zwingli, a contemporary of uh, Luther down there, uh, three hundred and some odd miles away, fifty seven miles away in Zurich, Switzerland, and <clears throat> so we have um, we have Luther on fire. He's on fire, and he writes these out on a parchment, and on. Uh, the eve of All Hallows Day. Is this coming together for you? Uh, so it's no. That's All November first, right? Yeah, November first is All Hallows Day, and that's All Saints Day, is another way to say it. Uh, one of the things that the Roman Catholic Church had taught is that the saints, when we when they canonize somebody, they 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 um you know they don't stuff them in a cannon and shoot them out. That that means that the church is declaring that this person had extra goodness they had more goodness than they needed to go straight to heaven when they die so the church uh, had said during these what maybe appropriately are called theological dark ages had said that what we've what the pope is doing is he's skimming off this extra goodness and he's putting it in a bank a treasury of merit and what what then what he does is he sells it off when you buy indulgences, when you go on pilgrimage and you pay money to venerate the, the arm bone of St. Andrew uh, or, or whatever else, or the, or the flame from the burning bush that, the, that Albert of Brandenburg claimed to have. How do you have a flame? Or, or a feather from the wing of the angel Gabriel, stuff like this. Um, you, know, you, could go to, uh, you could go to fully all 18 of the uh, sites where the apostles are buried in Germany. Except there was only twelve, but they had eighteen places where you could go and do you know, uh, splinters from the cross, uh, thorns. It's uh, one one man said that uh, there were enough split, splinters of the cross that if the pope transubstantiated them into lumber, you, you could rebuild the uh, Noah's Ark. You know, uh, there was enough straw from the manger in uh, reliquaries throughout Europe that you could uh, that you could actually uh, you, you could feed all the animals on Noah's Ark. You know, with the with the with the hay. Um, Luther was just enraged by all this. He could see through. The, just like a ladder, and he was uh, really upset. So he, he posts these 95 reasons why indulgences are not a good thing, and he times it in a very dangerous way. The patron of the University of Wittenberg, and hence the employer of Martin Luther, was Frederick the Elector of Saxony, who at this point in his life was uh, really on board with the whole sale of indulgences and and veneration of relics and pilgrimage. He wanted to make Wittenberg into the Rome of the North. He called it. So he had been adding to his reliquary, to these you know, to all the pig bones that they claimed were so and so's bones and all uh, you know, Saint Anne's bones or whatever, and um, and and then he invited people to come and pay money to venerate these and to give a certificate of indulgence that they were getting so many years off purgatory for a loved one or for themselves and, and all. So, so his boss was all in on the seven sacraments and all. And in fact, he, he was a, just an avid collector. And on All Hallows Day, 1517, Frederick the Elector was going to be putting on display uh, his nearly 20,000 fragments of the saints, you know, uh, uh, bone fragments, a tooth of Saint Jerome he had, and 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 he had a thorn certified by the Pope to have pierced the Savior's brow, and, and all of these kinds of things, uh, thread from the gown so, that Mary was wearing when she gave birth to Jesus, and all.
1: So, so just to understand, like Luther picks the strategic day when he mm-hmm. knows that people from the town are going to be coming to this building to venerate yeah. all yep. of these relics. And he basically (laughs) posts uh, a a thing on the door that says, this is, this is not what we should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so he does it on the night before they're going to come. And so it's there. So they're going to see it Mm -hmm. right on the door when they come in for this holiday on November 1st to venerate these, these relics
2: so is it yeah. only like reformation like people in the reformation tradition that celebrate reformation day cuz i ain't never yeah. heard it yeah no
0: it's it's a reformed holiday yeah. okay typically people Protestant. you know well i mean like
1: yeah. you're so would a baptist celebrate Re- reformation day they well, they're if they're an, in, if in if their... informed if they're an informed baptist they might but yeah. i mean typically yeah, no. it's something that more lutherans are into okay but if you're an informed reformed person, like when we were reformed, you know, there was, you know, we would sing a mighty fortress is our God. And on that day, you know, cause that's Luther's fa- famous hymn that he wrote. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it if you're more in an informed reformed Lutheran Protestant, you yeah. might celebrate it. So yeah. you're kind of historically oriented, but like the, our right. Orthodox friends aren't going to be probably celebrating reformation. No, day.
0: no. <laughs> Certainly so, not and Catholics, don't celebrate. Yeah, the Catholics the Catholic, don't celebrate our Catholic friends don't celebrate Reformation Day at all um, But it is I think it has grown in uh, broader evangelicalism in America uh, As a as a sort of an alternative to Halloween as some of them become more concerned about some of the you know the, the witchcraft and, and and Creepy stuff that goes on at Halloween um, More of them have started to have Reformation days. I know a number of Baptists. I'm a Presbyterian confessionally and by conviction and um and we, of course, celebrate uh, Reformation Day because, uh, you know, really fully, uh, uh, five years before Luther nailed his 95 theses on, on, on ca- uh, the door of the castle church, that's the ducal chapel of Frederick the Elector. This is like a shot over the bow, basically. Yeah, he's to doing it right in. on his
1: boss's door. Like, you exactly. have to understand. Hey, I say go big or go home. Yeah, 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 yeah That's, yeah, that's yeah. pretty this much what is. No, is got to go ahead and yeah.
0: But he was a man on fire. He'd seen Tetzel deceiving these people and bilking them out of their quarter floor. And when they were really poor people and it really enraged him and he wanted to stop it. And, uh, there was nothing that was going to stop Luther at this point. I mean, he is on fire. Now, Luther's theology was still developing. In the next three years, we'd see an, a a, hu- a significant maturing in Luther's theology that comes out later in 1520 with his, uh, with his, uh, his appeal to the German nobility, which is really a church state, uh, treatise uh, that becomes really foundational there uh, his uh, the Babylonian captivity of the church which was a which was a, a an expose on the errors of sacramental sacramentalism that if you just check these boxes and do these things that you're going to go to heaven you know a purgatory first but uh, and then uh, and then the freedom of the Christian man where he argues that uh, that uh, the, the for the priesthood of the believer he did that in the appeal of the German nobility and um, and <clears throat> And he he argues for uh, the, the gospel setting us free. The gospel isn't about giving us a whole bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and we can't do this and we can't do that and slavery. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from the bondage to our sins. Uh, Luther's uh, great work, he considered it his greatest work, um, and he's the most prolific author of the 16th century. So, um,
1: <clears throat> yeah, so what I understand is that Luther wasn't trying to get thrown out of the Catholic Church. He wasn't yeah. trying right. to form his own splinter group. He really, when we use the word reformation, right, he right. was wanting to reform the Catholic Church. Right. That was his right. intent. His intent yeah. was to be kind of a prophetic voice to call yeah. the church to repentance. And they threw him
2: out. And right.
1: uh, yeah, that story. yeah so to sure. we're gonna have to hurry things up here a little. We okay. yeah, also got some questions. Yeah, up. I have <laughs> questions too. So yeah, yeah I'm like, so, so he I, got I, thrown out. Yeah, so eventually, this, like, the never. Yep. So my- eventually, what happens is that he, I mean, it takes years. I mean, it's not like overnight. But I mean, he gets put on trial, and they try to work it out, and and then he he kind of makes a stand. And his famous saying is, "Unless you can show me from scripture or from reason." you know why i should pay these indulgences you know this is where i'm making my stand and no. and eventually gets excommunicated from the no. church no. and then you know you're 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 kind of a a monk without a home it's like now now what no. do we now what do i do and no. then by that time he was starting to have followers and other people he was he was He became a leader of a movement, kind of an accidental leader. He wasn't trying to start a church. He wasn't trying to start a movement. He wasn't trying to siphon people away from the Catholic Church. He was simply trying to reform the church. Well,
2: maybe this is a good time to ask the question. Yeah. Um, Because one of our viewers watched um, the episode where we had on, um, what, what was, uh, let's see. Our friend from the Coptic Orthodox. Oh, Church. Carrillos. Carrillos. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And he made the statement that all Luther had to do was turn east, and all of his doctrinal issues would have been resolved.
1: So because they yes. don't have indulgences yes. and and all of that sort. So of that thing. was
2: that was his his position was that Luther wouldn't have had to form Protestantism, or this vein of Christianity, the offshoot of Catholic. Catholicism, yeah. if he would have turned around and gone back to the Orthodox tradition.
1: That, that's and, a, that is a question I've wondered about is, did, did Luther have any contact with Eastern Christians? Like, was that ever a thought or is that more like from our global perspective, we would think about that. And yeah. But he was in Germany. There were yeah. no telephones. There were no newspapers. Right. Like, Yeah, our guest is yeah. asking, um, according
2: to... To Carrillos, is this an accurate statement that all Luther needed to do was actually turn east?
0: I would say that there's two parts to that. Number one, just uh, logistically, Luther didn't know any Eastern Orthodox people. I mean, you had to go a long ways east uh, yeah. to get to Eastern Orthodoxy, and it was not even on his radar. Um, uh, that's not to say he didn't know something about there being an Eastern Orthodox church, of course, but it was not there was no option. There was no Eastern Orthodox Church in Saxony, you know. Um, But the other thing I would say too, is that uh, without getting into a big discussion of Eastern Orthodoxy, but Luther's rediscovery of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Eastern Orthodox Orthodoxy would push back on that because they don't have a distinction between justification and sanctification. So they blend the two. And what happens when you blend the two is you end up with works righteousness again. Yes, Jesus paid a whole bunch of it. Pete, Jesus paid most of it. You know, I mean, that's not an Eastern Orthodox song, but you get the point. I mean, it, it is not uh, as, and I've been doing a lot of research on this here lately when having some discussion with folks about it. But, um, but in any case, that's that's maybe aside from what we want to talk about today. So I, I would push back and say, as a, as a Reformed Christian, that would not be, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy would have been wholly unsatisfying to Luther, uh, yeah, th- as it would be to a Presbyterian or to, uh, you know, a Reformed Baptist or uh, an evangelical uh, conservative Lutheran today. Um,
1: I think what's important for people to know is that um, the East Eastern Church and the Western Church both have their own kind of history and, and their own uh, development and um You know, we do a lot on the show here to direct people to the early church and in the first three to 400 years of the church and and when the church was united. And so things get more complicated when you have East and West kind of growing apart. And they do um, grow um, in different ways and not to become, I would say, different religions, but they just each have their own history and flavor. But um I think that it's, what's important about Luther is that when we as Protestants talk about the five solas um, being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, um, what's the, to the other one? So, through Holy Scripture alone and to the glory, of God, yeah. to the glory of God. Don't ask me. I've been in seminary yeah. 31 minutes. So <laughs> <we> got,
2: <laughs> I'm going backwards. It was 41 earlier. Yeah, so I mean, but these
1: are the five kind of, core mm-hmm. tenets of of what it means to right. be a protestant and that this is our authority that, that our authority mm-hmm. is is it in holy scripture and and because of the work of Christ i think that's mm-hmm. if you boil protestantism down to its bare essentials that's that's what it is and luther is really at at the root of that that branch mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. um yeah. so Let's um, talk a little bit. We had a question on YouTube. A couple of people with the same question, wanting to know about. Um, let's see. Joanne asked, "I have a Jewish friend who became very unhappy when I posted a quote by Martin Luther. She he 'He wasn't he a man who hated Jews?' Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've I, heard I'm so
0: glad she asked that I'm that very he was an anti
1: semite. So yeah. maybe you can. No. Maybe we can no, really, address I'd, that a bit because it's very a frequent much like question. To,
0: it is, it is. And of course, um, <clears throat> he was quoted by Hitler. You know, Hitler got some of his uh, grist, but of course, Hitler also quoted scripture, you know, that uh, when the Jews said, let his this this curse be upon us and upon our children. So, um, you know, that's the, the fact that Hitler quoted somebody doesn't mean to them that they were necessarily an anti-Semite. Let me just say a really quick line here to help us understand that. Uh, Luther became the most popular man in Europe, and uh, with the printing press, uh, they couldn't keep ahead of it. It was going out there everywhere. There was a group of uh, Spanish and Portuguese Jews in uh, in Antwerp. They were merchants and bankers there, Um, but they were sort of estranged from Spain and from Portugal, uh, and uh, they got a hold of Luther's writings, and they began translating them into Spanish and into Portuguese. Um, and, and Luther rejoiced. Um, there was, the, I think the problem for people thinking that Luther was an anti-Semite is that they don't make a distinction between Judaism that rejects Jesus Christ and says Jesus was a fraud and ethnicity, Jewish ethnicity. Luther didn't give a hoot about Jewish ethnicity. Um, what, what, another, another proof of that uh, is that when, uh, Luther was very, um, skillful in, uh, Latin and in, in, Greek, he translates the German New Testament in about 10 weeks from, uh, from Erasmus's New Testament in Greek to German and becomes a real father of modern German in doing so. Um, uh, but, um, when it came time to translate the Old Testament, he knew his Hebrew wasn't up to snuff. So you know what Luther did? No, no anti-Semite, no, no, no person who hates a group of people because of their ethnicity would ever do this. Luther hires a local rabbi to, to give him regular tutorials in Hebrew so that he could get his Hebrew up to speed so that he could translate from the Hebrew, not from the Latin Vulgate in the Old Testament, that would been done or partly done in German, but so that he could take go from Hebrew into German. Now, I'm sure they didn't share, you know, Uh, sausages, bratwurst, (laughs) pork sausages together and that as they worked but but at the same time they sat down at a table week in week out for months and Luther sat under the tutelage of this uh, Jewish rabbi. When Luther discovered uh, you know, when the Spirit of God changed his heart, and he discovered uh, what all that he discovered. He went in 1510. He went, to, uh, sent on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he he said, if if there if, if if there's a hell, Rome is built over it. He was wholly unimpressed with all the corruption that he saw in Rome, and he came back and he said, you know, I don't blame Jews for rejecting Christianity if Christianity is all the bilge water that's being dumped into Europe from Rome. I would re- I reject that too. Um, so uh, he expected luther expected early on 1520 1521 in those years he expected that the proclamation of uh, the sola scriptura uh, and sola scriptura teaches us that we're justified by grace alone through faith alone and christ alone to the glory of god alone that when they hear the glorious message that paul preaches in romans and in galatians and so forth that that they will they will wholesale Come into the church and want to know Christ and be converted and become part of the Stadkirche in Wittenberg, you know. And he was very welcome. Some of them did. Guess what happened? They just became part of the church in in, in Wittenberg. Um, but a number of them didn't. And as Luther he goes past the uh, peasants' revolt in 1525, and he's getting blamed for that and, su- and such. And as he as he moves further along, and he hears the vitriol. Of blasphemy against his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, coming from uh, the uh, from the rabbis, from the those who were, um, you know, they were they were part of the of Judaism, uh, rejecting Christ as the Son of God, saying he's a fraud. Luther uh, does what Luther does, uh, and, and I'm not justifying it, but he says some very vitriolic and hateful things about Jews. What he, he's not talking about their ethnicity. That's a huge mistake. Hitler made that mistake for quoting Luther. He's talking about their beliefs that reject Jesus Christ. And I think that's a huge—it's a very important, if we want to get the history accurate uh, and what Luther was really thinking, we need to understand that there were Jews that were converted reading Luther. And 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 they were welcomed into the church, um, what came to be called a Lutheran church. Luther hated that idea, calling it a Lutheran church. But um, so that's a very important distinction for us to keep in our minds uh, to answer that question. And
1: I think it's important to understand, like Luther, in his historical context, of he really was hopeful in the beginning. I think that more Jews would come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah as they saw what he he saw as being tr- truer. Christianity, truer apostolic Christianity. So it's his hope that like, well, the reason the Jews don't believe is because all they've seen is this kind of medieval Catholic Catholic version of Christianity. But once they see something that's closer to the apostles, they're also going to come to faith. And that, that hope and dream kind of waned later in his life when that didn't quite materialize to the extent that he, he hoped it would. And Luther, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He was a a guy with uh, strong opinions, and he was fairly <laughs> outspoken about things. Yeah, and yeah, and and uh, he had strong yeah. views about the Catholic Church after he was out of it. And he he said some things, you know, later in his life that are, made some pretty strong statements against the Catholic yeah. Church, as he yeah. did about about um, the Jews who rejected Jesus. As Messiah, so is a complicated man he yes. he You really have to put him into his historical um context he's he 's complicated he 's revolutionary um, he 's p- quite possibly um one of the most important people um who 's lived in the last five hundred years um we don 't realize how long his shadow is that uh, his his intellectual legacy um, on on the church, but also on European academia as well. If we were to unpack that um, Douglas, maybe you just give us like a really quick thumbnail of just a, like a laundry list of some things that Luther kind of in, invented, maybe isn't the right word, but practices he developed or things what, that he you did
2: mentioned like Christmas caroling. When we were off camera. Right, something like yeah, that. He yeah, he
1: he yeah. invented Christmas caroling. Yeah, he was the first one yeah. to like supposedly. I don't know if this is true or not about bringing the yeah, Christmas yeah. tree in the house.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: That he and he he really had a lot of no-
2: questions about that.
1: Novel ideas about about the family. Um, yeah. Marriage was yeah. very important to him, even though he was a monk when he came out of the Catholic Church. He got married, and had lots of kids. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a lot of. A lot of things that became part of Protestantism yeah. that, yeah. you know, just came yeah. from Luther and we don't even think about it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's so many that I can't obviously take time to list all of them. But I yeah. think one of the most central and important ones is that Luther, uh, again, the family, the, re, the, the the reformation of marriage. Marriage had been put on steroids and was a, was a sacrament for the common man. You know, monasticism was for the uber saintly uh, and that was your sure ticket to heaven but for the common people you had to get married and of course the church presided over marriage pres- presided over your children and their baptism and so forth so a luther kind of busted all that wide open and he marries an apostate nun and he's an apostate yeah monk. runaway nun story. he married a nun- yeah, runaway exactly nun. so the monk and, and the nun got together yeah, yeah. oh absolutely and then they had a lot of she children read. of
2: course the
0: nun and the yeah, monk ran yeah. away what, uh, kind of, it was great. what kind of story
2: yeah. is this <laughs> It's like a different uh, kind my, of story.
0: my my adult novel, Luther and Love, I tell from the point of view of Katerina Mambora, uh, and it, it's it's just an amazing it's an amazing story, and it's so much fun, and we don't have time to go into it. But I think the most important one of the most important things that Luther did, as an extension of his redis I think rediscovery of these uh, apostolic truths from the from the days of the apostles from the from the epistles in, in, in the New Testament and so forth. Um, once you get your theology right, it's going to change your doxology. And Luther discovered, you know, people went into the Stadkirche before Luther uh, began teaching and preaching there, and they saw only the back of the priest, beautiful robes. Oh, my goodness. They were really impressive because that's all they saw. They saw the back of him. Everything was in Latin, and they didn't participate at all. Luther called it lazy worship. They didn't sing. They didn't pray. Uh, they only took the elements to the supper in one kind, and that was the bread. Priests got all the wine, you know. Um, and uh, he, Luther busts all that wide open, and he begins preaching, guess what, in common German so they could understand it. And he begins, tr- he begins writing. He was a Renaissance man, so he, he could write not only the lyrics in German, Ein Festerberg, but he could write the music to go with it, pluck it out on his lute, um, and um, and he gives that to the people. And so suddenly you're coming into church at the Stadtkirche, and everything has changed. The people are expected to sing. It's yeah. incredible. I mean, the and whole idea te- of,
1: of worship today, what we do, like congregational singing and worship, is from Luther. I mean, the idea that, of, that the, had been immersed of the, of the common ages. man... Um, writing worship songs, you know, that, that it wasn't just chanting. I mean, all of that comes from Luther. The idea of of marriage um, being something that you didn't have to be a monk to be holy. You could be married right. and be holy. Right. Right. That you could have a regular job. And that like the whole theology of work and vocation mm-hmm. came from mm-hmm. Luther. That you didn't have to be a monk right. in order to have have a, a holy job and to be super spiritual. You didn't have to do that. You could you could be a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, and that that could be um, a, a holy vocation and an act of worship to God. These are all ideas that we take for granted, but they all were revolutionary in, in coming from Luther and were the, the seeds of what became Western civilization. And so it, it, Luther's a very interesting... An important figure, yeah. So, but I think too, like you've alluded a couple times, like the idea that the Bible could be in the common language of German—that's huge. huge, Mm -hmm. That people could sing in their own language. I mean, these were revolutionary ideas and practices, and so many of them we take for granted. Yeah, like instructing your children—that Luther was kind of like looking at the as a priest in his home. Um, the idea of the priesthood of the believer, like mm-hmm. Luther, that was a major part of his theology. So like Douglas was saying earlier um, about even the, the practice of the Lord's Supper that everyone takes the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. It's not just for the priest. These were revolutionary ideas and mm-hmm. and Luther really stands at the root of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah. So oh.
1: Monique wants Monique has a question. <laughs> I just
2: wanted to know how he died. I was like, was he I don't know, yeah. somebody like yeah. getting for well, he, his 95? Yeah. I don't
0: know. <laughs> no, that's a, I mean, he believed uh he in on on uh October 10th of 1520. We've just passed that and I've been I've been script writing for Ligonier uh, a podcast, if it's okay to, to promote another Absolutely, podcast yeah. it's called Luther Luther in Real Time. And what we're doing is we're tracing Luther every week from October 10th. That's when the that's when the uh, the podcast dropped. Uh, Lutheran in real time, right up to April 18th, when he stands before Charles V, his his Imperial Majesty Charles V, a 20 year old Spaniard, and uh, and takes his great stand. Uh, here, you know, I cannot, I will not recant. Um, um, here I stand. I can do no otherwise. God help me. Amen. Um, so we're we're tracing him each each week uh, there along the way. And uh, what happened to Luther? Uh, he believed uh, his friends didn't want him to go to Worms when he was summoned by them. He was given safe conduct, but so was Jan Hus, the uh, Bohemian, uh, the the Czech uh, uh, pre-reformer uh, for in fourteen fifteen. He was also given safe conduct when he gets to Constance and the and the Diet there before the, that emperor. Uh, they seized him, monkey trial, and burned him at the stake. Yeah. So so many. So he was right before saying, the
1: Reformation. That just blew no. by Monique. So right yeah. before the Me- reformation there was another guy who kind of predated Luther John Huss and he was also in trouble for trying to bring Christianity to the common person yep. and he got yeah. summoned and and to show up and when he went there, they burned him at the stake. See, we gonna have yeah. to
2: stop making some of these videos. i already told <laughs> yeah. you they burned people at yeah. the stake back then. But, but so Luther,
1: today? Luther was like, I don't know if I'm gonna, wanna, you know, yeah. if I'm gonna show up yeah. here. I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah, but That's they right. they didn't do that. They didn't they didn't yeah. burn him at the stake.
0: Yeah, so. but Luther believed they were going to. Yeah. Um, and he was being called the uh, the the Saxon Huss which that's too complicated to go into it but that was a really really a wrangling sort of thing to accuse somebody of uh because saxons and, and bohemians across the border didn't get along that well and uh but uh and hosts had been burned at the stake so luther went uh, even frederick the elector saxon who was already there in worms uh sends him a message when he's on his ways in frankfurt at the time and he says don't come it's too dangerous I, I just can't. I can't have you come, and uh, but Luther says, "Hey, if I'm if I'm if I'm summoned by the emperor, I'm summoned by God, and if I if I perish there, uh, my life is of no consequence. This is too important. I will confess Christ before the Holy Roman Emperor and before all these cardinals and archbishops and these electors all all throughout uh, the empire, and um, and so he he does and." Well, they did keep the safe conduct, and the main reason is that the they realized that that Luther the was way too popular with the common man, and they would have civil war all over Western Europe if they burned if they violated his the safe conduct. Uh, the rest of the story, we have to fast forward, you ask Monique, how did he die? He becomes the most consulted man to preach in your church, to come settle a dispute in your community, even in civil communities. Uh, and he was called back to his birthplace town February in February of, of 1546. And um, he, his wife didn't want him to go begged him not to go, it was snowing, it was cold, and uh, he goes back there uh, and um, preaches at one of the churches in the town, his birth town, he's staying at the Hotel von Mansfield on my tours, that's where we always stay when we're in Eisleben, and Luther uh, on February 18th, 1546, he dies there at uh, in his in his birthplace about three blocks away from where he was born, and his family hadn't lived there since he was seven. Um, so, but he, but he died of natural causes, you know, uh, and, and the Lord preserved him and used him and a number of other reformers, some of whom were simultaneously uninfluenced by Luther, were rising up and discovering those five souls that Krista uh, was talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, this is good. We had a little jaunt through Reformation history. Yes. You have any more questions? Yes. You have so many more, I, <laughs> I can <love> tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you want to ask? No.
2: It's okay. Okay. And I'm just gonna I need to sit and kinda ponder because especially like with the Christmas tree situation. Like I've always heard that like Christmas trees and all that started like with paganism and, and so then yeah. some Bridget put in here she and I just saw let's see. Was Luther aware of many of the pagan origins that have been said to be associated with days we celebrate, holy days? Um Christmas, winter solstice. And All Hallows or Sam, I can't, Sam Hain. Yeah. Um, So I don't know what that one is, but yeah, I was, so I think that's one of them. Like where did, did, did he get the Christmas tree or did he borrow the Christmas tree or was it pagan? And then he kind of sanctified it, put a little Jesus on it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, it's much more simple than that, actually. I mean, Luther was very much aware because he grew up in a, in a, a very superstitious, uh, you know, peasant community where there were lots of superstitions from the past and all that. Um, but he, um, he, he brought a Christmas tree in in the middle of winter because he really liked the smell of evergreens. And and houses didn't smell very good in those days, and especially during winter when you're closed up in there and people didn't bathe in the winter because it was much more likely to get pneumonia and die. So people didn't immerse in bathtubs or take showers in those days. You kind of did a little uh, spruce up from time to time. But um, so uh, Luther realized, wow, in the middle of winter, and it's just kind of exciting, and we can put some candles on it, and the kids will really be – and we'll just kind of make that part of our celebration in the middle of winter. Yeah, uh, they put uh, candles on the
1: Christmas tree. Oh yeah. Did yeah you, they did... Didn't leave
0: them on at night, you know? But...
1: My grandmother did that when she was yeah. in growing up in North Dakota. They would put candles on the Christmas tree. It's, yeah, all the way like through the thirties. Yeah. It was before they yeah. had the electric string lights that so we have now is they would put yeah. candles on the tree. Have, you, mean, never of, like have you never heard of it? Have you never heard of this? Yeah. They didn't do that. Like, uh, no, we didn't. We you, you I either know, had
2: a you're not, tree, or we you're went. you Is that no. another
1: white culture thing? Bringing know, the tree we inside we the had, house. Had Christmas trees. And, <laughs> you know what? I am glad that we discussed the Reformation today. But that does sound like a fire hazard. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, let's show show your website here, Douglas, so we can get people connected with your ministry and your books, your church. History tours, and Bob, can you click on his books page there at the top? It's on the left. He's got all kinds of books, and he's even got some music there. If you're interested in Reformation hymns, he's got some recordings, um, lots of resources, so people can go check that out. Also, I'm going to ask our moderators to see if they can find your podcast series on Luther that's dropping right now um, through Ligonier. And yep. they can get connected with that as well. So thank you so much for for doing this, Douglas. It, a, it is a pleasure to get to know you yeah. a little bit.
0: Likewise. Yes. Thank you so much thank for having me. Thank you so much. Me. Yeah, It's a pleasure to be here. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye Douglas. now. Blessings. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you. All right. Well, we learned a lot. Did you learn a lot? Yes. Good. Hey, yes. I mean a
2: monk and a nun a monk and a nun they ran away
1: that could be a joke (laughs) they ran away they got married they had kids they started an entire branch of Christianity
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh pray for me because yes I am a work in progress Um, but I was thinking how would I go to four years of a Christian school and not know nothing about Martin Luther I I don't know shame yeah I mean I knew his name I knew about the 95 thesis. But no,
1: he, you do know he's not the same guy as Martin Luther King. Don't start. Okay.
2: Don't start. Okay. Do you know his name wasn't, um, you know, they had to change his name.
1: Yeah, you told me yeah. that once. It's not really Martin. It's like Michael or something. Luther King Jr.
2: If I'm not mistaken. We're not talking. about. his dad changed his about, yeah. name. And then, then, then the son changed his
1: All name. All right. Well, we'll wait for January for that yes. conversation. There, there it is. All right. So we haven't done this in a while. But what? now it's time for the tweet. What? Of the week. You're not even on
2: Twitter. How do you, how do you have a tweet of the week? Right here. Oh. oh.
1: <laughs> it's a spooky tweet. It's very spooky It nice. is Halloween. What is that? Okay. All right. So we've got the tweet of the week. It's the world famous Monique Dussain. Oh, really? You are the tweet of the week. I love this. So, yeah, I should probably say I canceled my Twitter account a few months ago. So that's why I haven't been doing tweets very often. But I did see this on Monique's phone last night that she tweeted this. Christians, we don't have to wait for secular frameworks and books to tell us how to do justice. We already have 66 books and the Holy Spirit. And I just loved your hashtag. Let's make orthodoxy great again. Yes,
2: let's make orthodoxy great again.
1: So tell me what so you done. were what we were thinking in, when you tweeted this.
2: I was just thinking about how many books people feel like they need to read, and how I honestly believe that we have so many answers right in the Word. We have definitions, we have answers, we have ways forward. If we were to look in the Word, um, that, maybe
1: that could give us a little further down the road. Yeah,
2: there was a yeah. conversation that I was, um, that I was listening to, or a... Uh, uh, I had a conversation with someone earlier this week and they said that you know CRT is a useful tool because we can extrapolate some truth and data from it and sure I can agree with that I can agree that there's information that can be pulled but I don't need that framework to pull, to get that same information especially no skewed data like I can I can go and get I can do the research myself I can I don't have to have CRT in order to to figure out how to do justice or to figure out where justice needs to be done. I can observe, I can exegete my community. I can do research. God has given me a brain. Like there are things that I can, I can do that don't need a a framework to tell me that I'm a victim and that you are my oppressor. Like there's just, there's more. And I know that that's a a very, a very um, layman's, definition or, or sure. view of CRT, but I don't need it. And and when I was laying down last night, that was just what came to me. Like, we, if we made orthodoxy great again and really walking in what we've been called to as believers, we would see these things. We yeah. would know these things. We would be in, we could be in that conversation of justice and loving our neighbor from a place of personal righteousness, which would impact systems. Right. And so that's so just kind of where if we just it came read,
1: from. understand, interpret and obey scripture, we would be a a lot further down the road. Yeah, but yeah. too
2: many times, ooh, oh, see y'all okay, hold on, don't go nowhere. Because too many times people want to tell you you need this or you need that or you can't do this or you can't do that. And in in saying that, And in saying that there are things that we can and can't do that are outside of scripture. So like reconciliation, racial reconciliation, we we have to do racial reconciliation. Well, that's putting something on me that I don't have to do because it's not in scripture. So what if we were to just put orthodoxy forward again? But then you also look at the things that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to judge. Well... When I look at scripture and I see what Jesus says, he actually tells me to judge rightly. Don't just judge according to appearance. So this is something that I am supposed to do. Can we if we got back to orthodoxy, we would know the things that we're supposed to do and the things we're not supposed to do, how we should participate and how we shouldn't. And yeah, I just I think that we need to change the conversation within within Christianity and within evangelicalism. To getting back to how do we walk this out, orthodoxy and orthopraxy?
1: You know what makes me insane is when I hear um, people in kind of what I call the big Eva machine, the big evangelical, well financed think think uh, they got all the think pieces, you know. What's Eva Evangel- evangelical 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 drives me insane because they, they, so many of these think pieces are so unhelpful. They, they appeal to things like, they'll, they'll tell you like, well, what we really need to do is just have wisdom about these things. And we just need to have unity about these things. Yeah, okay, the words wisdom and unity are in Scripture. Yes, we do need to have those things. But there's a whole lot of things that are really super specific in Scripture too. Mm-hmm. We don't have to make some vague appeal to wisdom or a vague appeal to unity that's not legitimate like there's a whole lot of things in scripture about justice that are really spelled out mm-hmm. like can we just have a conversation about specifics first mm-hmm. before we jump jump to well you know we just really need to have wisdom about these things i feel like wisdom is being used in big eva as like this this escape hatch through which like we don't have to have any conversations about specific issues We just, everything stays in the theoretical and well, we just need to have wisdom. Oh, I hear you. And it drives me insane because it's like, wait, scripture is way more specific than that. Yes, there are some things we need to have wisdom about, but if you read in the Proverbs about what wisdom is, it's hooked to the law. Mm. It's telling me in pithy, short sayings how to live out the law. In my everyday life. A fool lives like this, a wise person lives like this. But if you listen carefully to how a lot of these, you know, gospel coalition and these big Eva financed machines, they use the word wisdom as like this kind of Bible sounding thing that really is not helpful. It it doesn't give any specifics. So I I'm, hear you. I'm, I feel I'm like if that's you. not
2: the only word. I feel like yeah. unity is is just like that too. Um, when when people say, "Well, are you should you bring that up?" Doesn't that break unity? Well, are you talking about unity or agreement? Like, and and how are you using these terms? Because we can be unified around anything. I can be unified around the fact that I had some trick or treaters come to my door and they were cute. That <laughs> isn't that doesn't save my soul. Yeah. You know, that isn't um, something that it's going to forward the the mission of Jesus Christ or, or you know what I mean? Like it's not going to forward the gospel. It What are we unifying ourselves around? What are we uniting around? And it's like, if you want, if you want me to unite around the fact that I need to accept this or support this group or, you know, believe this way and it's against the word of God, then no, we, I, I guess we don't have, but see, here's what that.
1: unity has become in a lot of churches is I don't want to have a hard conversation. It, it it's, it's a thing that that church leadership doesn't want to winnow the flock. Mm. So they say, well, I don't want to be divisive. Oh, you I, want how, to, you, I want you to have how many unity. Times I've heard that. I mean, these they, they write to us all the time. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, how can I stand for biblical justice? But not be divisive and
2: you know what the answer to that is you can't
1: you can't you
2: can't like you just can't like you you are not going to at some point you're gonna have to either hold to truth or you hold to something else and if you hold to truth then you let truth do what truth does and allow allow it to be the truth and then you allow people to subscribe or not Yeah, and come around or don't. You, you have
1: two options when you hang with me. You can stay or you can go. But but unity has to be, it's got to be on truth. It's got to be, we're united on truth. We're not united on a vague idea. Uh, uh, It's, here's another one that drives me crazy is, well, let's be winsome. All right, I'm all about gentleness, and respect. I never
2: heard nobody say winsome.
1: Oh, that's a big evil word. Winsome. Let's be winsome. Yeah, Biola just announced the winsome project this week. Oh, I didn't hear
2: that. That's a mess. Who want to be <laughs> You know, and let me stop. Let me stop.
1: It's the let Winsome just... project. It's, it's I don't like this word winsome because I don't know what it is. Like, look, I'm all about seg- I'm all about 1 Peter 3:15. G- Gentleness and respect. We we can do that. But at the same time, like there's sometimes where you have to fight. You have to stand. She learned that you from know. me, y'all. I ain't even going to lie.
2: I, I'm going to take my credit where credit's due. I've been waiting a long time to hear her say that you. sometimes you got to fight and you got to sing. You better come on. Sometimes like, you got to fight. And then you chuck the deuce. If if they like, <laughs> I got to walk away. Gone. My mama used to have a saying, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord. <laughs> like but that's true and to me this is where we need to be in the church like look we have been given our our marching orders we have been given the holy spirit and at some point we have to choose truth and allow people to opt in or opt out
1: but the we need the men in the church you know the our leaders like to, there's there's this weird thing right now with a lot of these these big Eva type People that are part of the system and the machine that are like they're so careful, they're all winsome. But I, at some point, it's like I don't want a careful man. I, I want a leader in the church that is like not careful. I want the fighter. I want the man who draws a line in the sand and says, "We're yes. not. We're not yes. going to. We're not going to compromise doctrine this way. Like, yes. like, even if it brings a sword." You know, to the church, and there's a dividing, and there's a winnowing. Then, then okay, then then that's what it's going to be. But, but you know, I it's what are you laughing at? Because
2: Can- Candy can't too said all my life I had to fight. <laughs> now, if you don't know what that's from, no, oh, you don't know Harpo? Who Harpo? I don't know what all that is. All my life I had to fight color purple that is the color purple right there yes it was <laughs> that's hilarious
1: winsome oh, that's sweetly or innocently charming winning engaging i had to look it up but
2: see Luther
1: wasn't winsome look at emily yeah
2: <laughs> but see here's the my thing. girl here's the thing <laughs> is that winsome is gonna get your sheep eaten like you see, you can't I, you can't sit here and play kate the wolf you can't
1: sit here and be like, oh, here, nice wolf. That wolf gonna eat you and your sheep. And your arm. Look, here's the thing is that, like, look, I, I get it. Gentleness and respect. And there was times when the apostle Paul said, I wish that you would just go all the way and emasculate yourself because the error was so deep. I mean, he was basically mm-hmm. saying, I hope you cut off your anatomy. Like, go all the way. Because there's sometimes where you have to stand and fight. hmm And I'm thinking, can you? what is that moment? Like, it's easy to look back and say, oh, the church. They should have stood strong under mm-hmm. Hitler. They should have done better. It's easy to, like, be Monday morning quarterbacking from decades ago. Mm-hmm. But hmm But is, now your, is your time. This, where now this, is your time. We're in this mess. hmm So where are those people? Mm-hmm. Where we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna stand and say like, no, we're not gonna cross. We're gonna draw a line in the sand and say, this is what he's like, there's there's a moment for being winsome. It's a moment for general service. And there's but a I'm moment sh- for this backhand. Don't play. Not sure this game. This yes. I'm not sure that yes. this is the winsome moment. No, I feel
2: you. I am I am all with you. I am all with you, Miss Seely. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> another color purple thing. Uh, sorry. No, but seriously. Like I, I feel like we could start a group called Peter's Army. I, <laughs> I just because I'll cut off your ear in a minute. I could care less. Like, let's go. <laughs> but in in all in all seriousness. Um, I feel like the church is at a pivotal moment where it is going to take the men to stand up. And and I'm a strong woman. Like, I, I'll let you know. But that's still, it's, God has ordained something in the men, God has ordained something mm-hmm. in 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 the the elders and the leaders of the church, and I believe that they one they definitely need a lot of prayer, but there has to be a standing and a line to say, "Hey, you know, like somebody with a prophetic
1: voice, like, no, I, am not going to go today. Yes, we are going to fight today. We're not going to be careful men today. We're going to be fighting men today. Yes,
2: yeah, so. Oh, Jeremy, too many Christian men may um, mistake niceness for biblical goodness. Oh, Jeremy, you might need to come co-host because, yeah, (laughs) that's real talk. That's real talk. Like, like the Lord. This is this. This might sound bad. But I don't know that we're called to be nice, like th- just this idea of, of I just need to be nice all the time. At some point, you you just gonna have to be like, hey, no, no. People want to come into the church and but tell you how a... to worship, how to read your Bible, what what you should be thinking and all that. And at some point you have to say no. And that doesn't mean that you have to be mean or be a jerk. But that does mean that this idea of of, you know, like, oh, I just have to be nice. I can't say anything. Yeah. No, no, no. We need some boldness in, in in the camp. We need some boldness in the house. The family
1: has because to be this, bold. I, I mean, we have to understand the cultural moment that we're in. Like, the culture is against us. I've been hearing so much in, in these Christian think pieces about, well, we don't want to lose our social collateral. We don't want to have the culture think ill of us. They already think ill of us. Mm-hmm. They already think ill of us. Our worldview tells us to do something completely different than what the culture wants us to do. Mm-hmm. There is no amount of social capital on the planet that is going to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. We're either going to have to just pray and stand and be countercultural, and potentially become second-class citizens, or or we're going to have to go all the way with the culture, like. The standing in this middle place, that there, lukewarm position, there's not much time left mm-hmm. where you can get away with that. Mm-hmm. Those days are waning. Yeah. So. Oh. So go follow Monique at the Real Monique D.
2: Yeah, on Twitter. Yes, on yes. Twitter. Um,
1: How do you have like thousands of Twitter followers?
2: I don't know. I only tweet once a decade. <laughs> but
1: when I do. I but when do. she does tweet, it gets on the show. She said, "Hi,
2: um, Homeschool Outdoors said, how do you nicely tell someone their house is on fire? Exactly. No, I'm not going to excuse me. I'll see it here. Wussified. mm. Mm. Never mind. I'm not going to say that. Never mind. That's not. mm -mm.
1: Today being winsome seems to allow church folk to be wussified. Yep. There's some truth there.
2: Is it niceness part of whiteness under CRT? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. See, I feel like every person Uh with less pigment than me y'all should just lose your mind and be like you know what I am now being anti-racist I am now going against my whiteness because you have told me that being nice is white and then just lose your mind and be like not today no don't say don't take that advice I'm just, <laughs> but but seriously for real like real talk it's gonna take some some people saying not today Satan. like you ain't gonna just say what you want to say about me because of the color of my skin
1: okay I don't know is there anything on Facebook We're
2: just freestyling here. Oh, she said yes to the Hamilton reference. Yes. If you don't stand for something, well, Well, here you fall for Can you go down a little bit? Alexander Hamilton.
1: Oh, no. I heard someone say recently Jesus was always right, but he chose to be loving before being right. Are are we reading the same Bible? I thought about Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. Not exactly loving in the winsome sense. Mm -mm. (laughs) Call them brood of vipers. Yeah. Come now. Yeah, I feel like we need more people like me and Maya. I want to see Michelle's comment here. Michelle has like nine children or something. Yes, she's she, a rock she, star. She yes. is a rock star. Yes.
2: Our generation is so fragile. No matter how nice we are, everyone thinks we're jerks anyway if we don't agree. Exactly. That's, that's see, exactly my point. So I just listened today to a lecture by this guy, David French. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, you're, you're going to call listen, him out? I did. I listened to this to, to this lecture um, by him and no, it's, this isn't about the lecture, but it's, a, it's about Marcuse and oh. how he was. Marcuse
1: was a Frankfurt
2: School mm-hmm. neo-Marxist. Yes. But how he was defining tolerance mm-hmm. and how he was saying that tolerating anything other than intolerance was was wrong. So it's like if it, how we used to look at tolerance and saying, well, you know, you have your view and I have my view. That's so old that fashioned. would be that would be tolerance Marcuse said, no, unless you begin to completely shift your view to the view of the underdog, the oppressed or whatever, you are remaining intolerant. That's us today. Yes. This is where we are. But people don't see the, the how it goes all the way down from Marcuse and Frankfurt School and all that. Every part of what's happening, even in conversations of tolerance. So the whole, the whole push is not for there to be... Classical tolerance, but this new definition of tolerance that says it's a that neo-Marxist
1: as, definition, as
2: long as you hold your own view and do not look at the view of the one who is oppressed, the outlier, the marginalized, you are being intolerant. I was like,
1: Did you know that during the sixties, I was reading this, and I've been reading uh, Jeffrey Bashir's book, American Crisis. Uh, he has a whole chapter in there about the Frankfurt School. is very helpful for a layperson. Uh, to understand it. But one of the things he said in that chapter was that in like the 60s or 70s, during a lot of the protests, like must have been the 60s, people will walk around with signs that said Marx, Mao, uh, who was mm-hmm. the uh, founder of Communist China, and Marcuse. And people would carry these signs all yeah. the time. I, I bet most people don't, today don't even know who Marcuse is, but he's he's huge in terms of laying a lot of the intellectual foundation that penetrated American universities in the '60s and '70s, and we're standing in that fruit yes, right, right now. now. Mm-hmm. But now it's come to Christian universities.
2: Oh, oh, yes, it has. Because you
1: have all of these professors that were educated in secular universities, and you know, it they, they just was the water that they were swimming in. So
2: yes. here we are. All right, y'all. I think it's about our time.
1: Okay, we're done we could just sit here and just keep I was going to You know every
2: time I say something I think of like a little song that goes with it. But it is about the time for us to keep to keep going. So until next week everyone, we thank you. Please remember that um if you are looking for training on racial unity or anything justice together Theology. we do we speak and then if you're looking for things like Women's ministry or the, uh, theological training, hermeneutics, just Bible studies. Krista is extremely gifted and talented. I've been in seminary for 41 minutes, so I wouldn't trust me on that yet. But I can talk <laughs> about race, unity, and justice. And with that, thank you so much for being here. Check us out on Theology Mom on Facebook or on um, the website at TheologyMom.com or the Center for Biblical Unity.com. Or Center for Biblical Unity on Facebook. Yep. We are here. Talk to you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com. And find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.